0: Cyclocross friends. And thanks for tuning in to episode 239 of Cyclocross Radio. We are currently on Highway 35 traveling from Fayetteville, Arkansas to Iowa City. Yesterday was the Fayetteville World Cup. Tomorrow is the beginning of Jingle Cross, but on this episode we're talking about last weekend and the Waterloo World Cup and everything that happened at that event. We're going to get right into it, but before we do, I want you to go check out the CXHairs Bulletin. You can subscribe by going to cxhairs.substack.com. That will get you all of the information you need to know about what's going on in the world of cyclocross. Also, would love for you to go to wideanglepodium.com, check out all of the shows on the network, subscribe, download, tell your friends, share, and listen to Cyclocross Radio. All right, we got Michael and Zach. We're talking about the Waterloo World Cup, and we're doing that right now. We are back in the media pit before we get into everything that went down in Waterloo, Wisconsin. Michael.
1: How's it going? It's going it's tough, Bill. I have been battling the, uh, the the New Orleans infrastructure. I had no internet all day. And then so I had to rewatch these races on my on my phone, but then my Verizon was like down to one bar and it was just a pixelated mess and my my phone was not charging and I had to plug it in and I had a power strip and I was trying to make notes for the show and I was like, oh my God, this episode, this episode, the, the, the New Orleans infrastructure might be my Waterloo. Wow. That was a
0: long walk, but I'm glad we took it. Zach,
2: how you doing? I have nothing to counter that. I mean, I, you know what though? You know what though, Michael? Like I do have to say. Clearly, uh, you know, with the, the bulletin and it's just like my love of history has just been like working its way, you know, weaseling its way into the bulletin coverage. I appreciate that. Throwing it back to Napoleon, uh, French history, solid. I, I approve.
1: You've got the history corner card on lock.
0: So many of it. <laughs> Bill, what are we talking about tonight? I think we're gonna talk about the first World Cup of the season on on American soil in in Waterloo, Wisconsin. We had we had like uh, everybody here. Everybody was racing. Well, most everybody, and um, it was pretty awesome. What what you, where where should we where should we kick things off, Michael?
1: I I think well let's kick it off in the broadcast corner. Let's kick it off in the Bodie's broadcast corner because we like to we like to critique the live stream we like with the media pit we like to talk about the things behind the scenes i gotta say tuned in to the live stream at the beach in pensacola and i was pleasantly surprised to hear ellen noble on the call alongside steve slanger and i gotta say that was awesome she did a great job um really cool to hear her i'm like Maybe that's the next step for her. Um, just brought a lot of like knowledge to the race, knew the riders, like new tactics in the in the race, how things were going down, had experience there, talked about her iconic moment with uh Marion Vasso. So that was really awesome to hear. I did have a one little issue they had. The mix of the commentators was too I, I was okay, I had the mix of the ambient noise was way too loud, where sometimes we couldn't even hear Steve or Ellen. And I liked all the ambient noise because it looked like it was a really great event at uh, at Trek. A lot of folks there. You got the guy with the trombone running around. You got the, the cowbells, secret bar. But it was just like a little too much. So that's my, my one note to the broadcasters. Let's bring it down a little bit. Similar to the, uh, it was similar to the mountain bike Olympics race
0: that was... You could almost not hear that was actually worse where you couldn't even hear the announcers at all. It was just all all ambient and, and a helicopter. Thankfully no helicopter at this race. But uh yeah, what about also I think you had you took issue not with the broadcast itself, but with our uh cyclocross friends out there who still haven't gotten the memo on all of the we may have to do like a flow chart or just like a bulletin yeah. board with threads just to to get everybody in line with where they need to go to see what.
2: Can I can I jump in here? I will say, like, if you read the bulletin, we do a weekend preview every Friday. And in that bulletin, you don't even have to read that far down your email. I mean, yes, you have to get through my opening ramblings about whatever they might be about, but we tell you where you can watch every race, whether you be in America or in Europe for our European listeners. So if you haven't subscribed to the bulletin, you need to figure these things out. Just saying, it's there. We give it to you. We bring it to your inbox every Friday as you're preparing to
1: procrastinate heading into the weekend. A few folks were just commenting that, like, you know, what GCN? Why are you geo blocking this this race? I saw some folks commenting on Trek's uh, Twitter and it's like, hey, what? It's like not nice of you guys to block this feed. And it's like, guys, hang on. So we had the US CX Rochester Charm GCN bought the rights to that. Trek, the Trek weekend, the C2 and the World Cup are not part of that. Flow has the broadcasting rights to all 16 of the World Cups. They also had them last year. So we've been watching the World Cups on Flow. Um, you could, of course, use a, G, a VPN for GCN, but that's that's different. You don't, don't get mad at GCN when you can't watch it from the States. So we have the World Cups on Flow. We have the, truck, the Trek uh, Friday the C2 not broadcast also not part of the USCX so it's not going to be on GCN now ne- now, ne- um, what, tomorrow Wednesday we have Fayetteville World Cup flow bikes then we go to Jingle Cross gets confusing it's both USCX and the World Cups you tune in to the Friday and Saturday races on GCN you turn into the World Cup on Sunday on flow bikes and that is your schematic for how you view these amazing races rant over
0: uh i i have one follow-up question you you covered the uscx which is on gcn you covered the world cup which in the u.s is on flow unless you have a vpn where can
1: i watch the pro cx (laughs) (laughs) on instagram stories you'll get the Love it the rankings terry
0: warner's vlog that's the answer and curtis white's uh race previews please stop
2: moving on so you you touched on the writers and i think that uh i had a fun twitter interaction i have to say uh one of my favorite twitter names ethan wolfman uh, gotta say, one of my favorites. But we've been covering the saga of Lawrence Swack, and so you know, I think the first thing to come out before we really had any firm commitments, we had our man Lawrence kind of being like, "I hate America. I'm not coming. Those races suck. America hate is terrible for cyclocross." Just being all cranky, and we've been kind of theorizing about you know the cause i think that uh my man wolfman suggested perhaps that it's just the lack of sleep from being a new father and i i think that that is well within reason i personally think it's because he's not getting the invites to play playstation with alien michael but we'll we'll get to that so that's my theory but you know there was this idea that no one was going to come and it seems like uh we're Everyone, I mean, with the exception, so we covered uh, S- uh, Celine Alvarado is having some blood issues. She got tested uh, after one of her races, um, her first race that she struggled in. So she was ill. You know, obviously, Michu Wout and pitters weren't going to come. But we, we acknowledge that they don't start cycle across to like, after U.S. Nationals. Were you guys... I mean, that's just how the schedule works, right? Like we we, we turn, it's perfect. Like we get our, our nationals and then we get Wout Miss and Pitterspalooza and all the other names that we've come up for that I've probably forgotten. Were you guys kind of surprised? I mean, we saw like the 777 squad, the sauces, you know, Lucinda Brand came. I mean, this field was lit and I talked to to multiple people at the venue who were just so excited about this women's field and it warranted it. Were you guys Surprised at all that, that those writers came.
0: I, I you know, we were talking about this a little bit at the venue, uh, Zach, and I, I, I think what happened is that none of the Euros really said, other than Lawrence Swick, that they weren't coming. We just we assigned that to them. We decided, I don't know if it's our inferiority complex or whatever. We kind of decided they weren't coming. Yes.
2: But to be fair, I mean, the sauce boss has been pretty negative, negative over the for years. Years,
0: Yeah. For years. He said that he doesn't like coming here. And, and you know, he, he likes to grumble and mumble, but always shows up. I mean, I don't think they've missed a year. They're always here. So, that's correct, yeah, yeah. In the end, they were like, oh, everybody showed up. And I was thinking about it. I was like, well, they never really said they weren't going to show up. We just kind of like, you know, we heard all the normal grumblings and we heard the stuff that there are too many and it doesn't matter and it's not worth it. But it was great. I mean, it was it was, it was pretty awesome. We had full fields on both, both sides and it, it turned into compelling races. I think I I think also just to add to that what we have that we haven't seen in the past which is kind of interesting and Michael went into it last week about the the ratio between how many races there are and missing the 3 versus you know just when there's one or two I think that there was much more intensity at these races than we've seen in the past for these World Cups. And we'll get into it. And I think, you know, when we talk about Clara Hansinger, that's the, you know, perfect um example of of that or somebody who was surprised by that, but it really felt like, oh, this is this isn't just, oh, we're coming to the US and we're gonna sort of, you know, sleepwalk our way through some races. I thought that it was it was pretty much full on from the
1: start. Right. I mean you had you had brand not doing Roubaix to come to to Waterloo and you had Voss fresh off Roubaix to come to Waterloo. So, yeah. Yeah. I asked Ailey, you know, after the
2: race, it seemed like he was especially excited when he won He more than your average U S world cup. And, you know, he mentioned that he's been dealing with some frustration, you know, he performed poorly at Heaton, but he also was like, it's America. And I think just looking, watching the stories was my pastime (laughs) last week, watching the euros. I think they enjoy it. It's a novelty. It's America. I mean, you know, I think it still does have like this novelty factor for people. And I think that they were just kind of soaking it up. And it's, you know, a chance for them to be away from some of the bullshit that they deal with being in Belgium and, you know, kind of relax. And everyone was getting cheered for. I mean, people were going nuts for, you know, one through 50 in the field and stuff. So, yeah, I think maybe, Bill, to your point, that we listen to, kind of like the Rudolphs and we listen to the Sauce Boss, and their opinions are not necessarily indicative of the opinions of many of of the writers. You know, I guess Lawrence Swack accepted.
0: I, I think the other thing to note is that now that this has become the routine, right? You come to the U.S. to start the season, that they are doing a much better job of preparing for the trip. Where you know, in the past, if If racers didn't race Rochester, which was traditionally the race before the World Cups, and we also have to, you know, remember that these races were much earlier in the past, almost like a month earlier that we were doing these World Cups. So now it's it truly is more of the traditional cyclocross season. But what what I think these teams are doing is like before they would show up. Like a day before the race, race, then go to Jingle or wherever and race that, or or vice versa, and the jet lag was there, and they just didn't didn't have, you know, they weren't ready. Where this year, you saw everybody here, other than Denise Spetsma, who had a, you know, who got delayed in her trip, they were all over here almost a week beforehand. And we're able to, you know, take care of the jet lag and get in some training rides and sort of acclimate to being in the U.S. and being here. And I, I, I think that that was why, you know, it, we, we saw sort of that different energy uh, in the venue and at the
1: start line. Um, so while we're talking about Euros not coming, racing coming, just, you know, before we get into the race, I saw that uh, Vincent Bestians is not racing tomorrow's World Cup. Um, Does't want to do the drive. Don't kind of don't blame him. Um, maybe all in on the USCX, Bill, maybe you've got a to...
0: well, I, I think
1: that what he said, I mean, it makes sense. He's gonna race jingle. He's
0: gonna race that World Cup. and he just felt like he had done so much racing up until this point that he it was worth it for him to not have a subpar performance at this World Cup, take this one off. He wants to race Friday night. Yeah, maybe he wants the USCX title, but regardless, you know, he may have an opportunity to win that race, get more points doing that than coming down farther in the result sheet on the World Cup, although he doesn't get World Cup points, and then just be fresher for the Jingle Cross World Cup. So, it's a decision, and I just think since he's been here racing so much that it's sort of a a different math than everyone else who's come over. Cup management.
2: So we got Sunday, uh, we got the race, race day. We all remember 2019, we woke up, it was pouring, it was raining cats and dogs. I don't know what the Belgian Id- idiom for that is, but that's the American idiom you know, half of the media pit went running to the same Walmart buying the same like $15 rain gear because they were ill prepared. And I was just grateful that I lived in in Madison. Uh, Bill, I was in Lake Mills, which is maybe about a 15 minute drive kind of east of south and east of Waterloo. You were in Madison, about a 30 minute drive, a little bit south and west. I woke up to like thunder and just like rain pouring down on me. What did you wake up to on Sunday morning?
0: Yeah, a little bit of the same, uh, but I I yeah, uh, but I I packed up all of my rain gear uh to to just appease the rain gods, and I think it paid off because I think I think we got almost the the perfect conditions in that at least during the women's race it wasn't raining. Men's race we got some rain. It definitely added some drama to the race, but it wasn't like we were Getting drenched. I never pulled out my rain jacket. In fact, quick aside, I don't know where my rain jacket is. It is still in in Trek's backyard somewhere. So here here is going to be the interesting thing. If uh, well, I probably won't get this podcast out in time for people to listen to it. But just in retrospect, if you see me on the broadcast of the Fayetteville World Cup. And it's pouring down rain. I will not be wearing a raincoat <laughs> because it's still in Waterloo somewhere.
2: <laughs> so here's the yeah. So the the long and short of it is, I don't think it really rained in Waterloo, uh, and that's uh, I guess I could use this uh, as a lesson that I used for my students when I taught intro to water resources engineering, uh, during the summer, summer months, uh, called convective storms. They're more localized. And so they can, you know, it's not like a frontal rainfall that you get in Belgium in the winter where it just dumps rain everywhere. It's these like localized cells. And so I think we had that situation. I got to the venue, same thing, Bill, you know, we were with our man, Dan Brock, 3585. He, only had two pairs of sneakers. I was like, look, man, what size shoe do you wear? He's like, I'm a ten and a half. I'm like, great. I've got this size 11 work boots in the car. Like, if you need them, I got you. You're covered. And it's like it didn't rain there. So the, the ground was in relatively good shape. There was one, you know, the riding line burned in because we got there in 2019. And we were just like, oh, my God, this looks like the surface of the moon. I guess if the moon had a lot of water and was just I mean, it was it was wild. Um, so we didn't, we didn't have that. Uh, so I just wanted to do a little weather corner, but I mean, really the story jumping ahead to even kind of the completion of the first lap, we saw very out of you know, she killed it. Second at worlds, second at Uh but I, I feel like we just kind of wrote her. off. I mean, I, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but like she had a terrible season, a subpar season. She, she was a Midler last year. I, I was shocked. I was surprised. I know that's not fair. Uh, guys, am I right? Like, does she qualify for backwatch? I mean, last season, yes. she wasn't very
1: good. Yes, totally. I, I, yes, Marianne Voss is back when it comes across. Last year, totally middler. Um, you know, you can have down seasons. Um, but this was very impressive. This is a great race. Or, or, try this one off on for size.
0: <laughs> Trek waterloo world cup is just very similar to robot land and that's why she did well <laughs> uh this this is very very interesting very interesting i thought we're,
2: you were going to go a different direction i thought you were just going to point out that she had insane road fitness that she carried in and it'd be like 2018 when she rolled into the world cups no, and was just like came, smoking it didn't,
0: didn't she come back and win Robot Land like her first race back in in two
2: thousand? Yeah, against the Pony Camp. I mean, she was racing against the Pony Camp. Yeah. But
0: well, I'm just saying, we just have to wait and see what happens in these next couple races. She comes in hot. No, it was amazing. Her her perform. I am I am a hundred percent joking. This was a completely different situation.
1: I mean, there the hitters were there. It was, this was. I watched part of the race uh, this weekend and I rewatched it today and I was like, holy shit, this was a dynamite race. Once again, amazing. It's, an, it's international racing, but it's on American soil. It's so good. Uh, we have it so good right now. Um, but let's talk about the first lap. We had, you know, we had the North American superstar, Magli Rochette, going out hot and like taking it to the Euros. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, it, oh, let's, um, hmm. I
0: don't know. <laughs> I want to be critical here. I'm not the one racing, but when you say taking it to the euros in the first lap, she got the whole shot, but there's also an argument to be made that maybe the wiser choice would not to be go not to go full out in the
1: first lap, lap and a half and just have everybody sitting on your wheel. They were definitely at the end Sitting and rating a pounce. I did notice that she had has she strung out the maybe maybe taken it to the the midler
0: euros. She she absolutely destroyed Clara Hansinger. We can talk about that in a minute. <laughs> that 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 sort of was the 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 death knell for for Clara from the beginning because because Magli and it was great to see. I mean it was Magli's had a great season up until this point and she got out of the gates extremely fast i mean she's always been a fast starter i just and and of course you know twenty twenty hindsight and i'm not criticizing her i'm not out there racing for those who want to write in and tell me you don't know how hard it is to race i get it i i don't absolutely at the same time we've all seen a lot of races this is what we kind of do and i think at some point you have to say think maybe maybe, maybe somebody else should take a little bit of the, the workload here and I can sit back earlier before it looks like maybe you're gassed.
2: She did get a gap, though. I mean, I think like midway through that first lap, she had about a three-second gap, and you could actually hear it. Uh, kudos to Scott Herman and Julie Herman on the mic. They did a great job, as always. Um, and really, their, their chemistry is so good. If you haven't heard them <laughs> at a race, somehow they – been married for a long time and still just managed they have like great chemistry on the mic but like they were kind of narrating it as i was run. i was super flustered this is my first world cup guys as a photographer uh and i i think i i felt like a rookie i there was one point after like i was just with all the metal fencing i think at one point i just stood and stared and was like threw my hands up and i'm like i don't know what i'm doing um but they were kind of narrating this and they're like and here comes lucinda brand and brand shut that down like super fast so i think like she did get a gap but then brand kind of kind of ate it up really quickly and i think I mean, that was kind of the story of the day in a lot of cases, you know, these gaps weren't able to open. But I think also it just shows how deep compared to every other. I mean, I think with the men, we've seen a consistent we've seen the top riders come like no question. This was the deepest women's field by far for the World Cup. And, you know, she did a jingle and she just kind of ripped, you know, ripped things apart at jingle. And that was just not happening because there was just this international depth
1: too, not just the Dutch women. I guess just one one more note on Magalie's start was that I was listening to the Canuck crosscast um, and they had Goza Vandermeer on his show and he made he made a very interesting comment very very Dutch in the way he was blunt about it but he said you know Americans don't race to win they they race to hang on and then go for the sprint at the end and he was talking about just putting in those 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 tacks that maybe don't pay off but are or at least going to give you the shot, right? Like My dad always told me when we were golfing, like if you're putting, like at least get it past the hole because if you don't get it past the hole, you have no chance to go in. So I guess I saw a little bit of that, a little bit of that in Magalie in this, this sort of really hard lap that she put in in the beginning. And, you know, a tenth, pretty solid for her considering last season. So not bad. So let's, we'll go to Clara.
2: Uh, I mean, she was, she was frank about it. I, I gleaned this, you know, she posted on Instagram that she was not, I, she was kind of shocked at how intense and fast the first lap was, which was kind of interesting because, you know, uh, had she listened to Euro Corner on one of our previous episodes, I don't remember. I, I really struggled to keep these early atheist crosses. There's like Mulebeka and then there's like all these other weird names. I Middlekirka and anyway... I mean, I was just like, if she listened, she would have heard me describe how crazy intense the racing was. And you had to be on it from the start. Uh, Clearly, Clara did not listen to the media pit one time. She also doesn't know the origin of the glow plugs story. So actually, I don't think she listens to the media pit.
1: Oh, I don't She seems surprised. I I,
0: that doesn't surprise me at all.
1: (laughs) I don't think many people understand that. So it's fine. So I didn't go back. I mean, did you guys
2: kind of? I mean, we've. It's the same old story. But did I didn't go back and like Zapruder the the film to see kind of what happened? I mean, she got off to a decent start. I felt like leaving the whole shot. She was maybe like you know seventh or eighth, like she should have been front row call up. Really neat call ups uh, that they did. They did kind of like the
1: starting lineups. Did you get to see this, Michael? Was this on any of the broadcasts? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I made a comment that the that I these are new new call ups. I forgot to say new to the World Cup because um, I was informed that. New England has done it first, and look, I subscribe to any. I subscribe to the fact that New England has done everything in cyclocross first. I'm totally on board with that. Um, I hadn't seen this done in the World Cups, and if it has, then that's great. Um, But yeah, what was there on the ground, guys? Was there anything a reason for doing it that way? I mean, it was fun to see Carrie Warner do his wheelie. Um, That was cool. I, I think it's
0: something that we've seen of course, in New England, Cyclocross, but also uh, it's, it's similar to what the Mountain Bike World Cup does where they reserve that, okay. that first row for the – they call everybody up and then they call them up last and they have their own little entrance into the, into the first row, so it's kind of special for that, which I, I think is really neat. I think it's neat that they get that recognition for being there. I liked how they did it. It was, it was a different view. The funny thing was uh, none of us knew it was happening. So we're all there at the starting line with our backs turned, waiting, and then finally someone turned around and was like, "They're all down there at the at the finish line." And then all the photographers all turned around and go, "Oh, okay, that's that's what we're doing." Uh, no, I, I I enjoyed it. I, I think the more the more fanfare, the more production, the more show that you put on, the better. I, I think anything they can do like that is is a positive. And and the fans got into it, and it was it was one thing that you actually. What was cool for the venue and for Trek as a race organizer was the world got to see how many people were actually there because you had the cameras turned and then you could see all the people lined up and it's a shot that you normally don't see even when we have these finishing sprints other than you know like the shot Zach got and the shot that Cyclocross Magazine got a few years ago of Tone Arts winning is that you don't you don't get to see that crowd because it doesn't, it doesn't show up on, on, on the broadcast. So this was cool that they, they got that opportunity as well.
2: Yeah. I want to cover, I want to talk about the crowd uh, at the end though, I think is an important point to make. Uh, the one question I've, uh, uh, Lucinda brand. She did that dancing thing. It's clear that she likes to put on a good show, but she did the Pimron Harbird. bird. Would you guys know what the story with they're on the line? Like what's the story with the, the crane or whatever the flying bird, but, we need, you know what, Bill? We need to do some investigative journalism this weekend uh, to find that out for our listeners. Um, so anyway, so the race starts. <laughs> we get, we get. Finally, we get the group that we were kind of expected. We've talked all about the Youngs, um, but in the, their dominance. But we kind of had like the old, the old, the old saws. The old veterans. You know, Brand, Voss, uh, and Betsima. I think were kind of the top three early on. It kind of seems like those three are kind of quickly establishing themselves as i don't know it's it's weird it's, it's it's not a sport for old men or old women anymore but yet kind of the older riders are the ones that are really shining you know saw the same thing at heaton as well yeah, and even even amory's
0: verse showed up to to just let everybody know still here still relevant don't count me out so which was nice to see bill is she the new dangler is she the new Euro she, Dangler? Yeah, that, that, that was definitely an effect for this race. She was always off and it, and there were a couple of times like, okay, she's dropped and then just like motored back up there. And she was the one, or was it the opposite? Because one of the other big stories was and this sort of plays into what we saw at the for the C two race with the winner of that, which was Yolana Neff, who started, you know, forty fourth or whatever, or forty fifth and past 44 people and won the race uh nef started 51st in the world cup and within how many laps was it like three laps when she was finally up there but r- regardless at some point she three laps yeah, three laps she was in the front group and i think it was what didn't she ride on verse wheel or was it the other way around Well, uh, first off, oh no, it wasn't. I, I, I'm getting completely confused. It was Betzema. She was on Betzema brought her back up and we'll get to why that happened. So we had a question. I think there was the
2: question about the, um, what did we call it? The ringer rule. Uh, we learned in my post-race interview, the ringer rule is an effect. Uh, Neff started on the fourth row. So she in the World Cup, she started, what was it, forty fifth, which she reminded us many times in your your great interview with her after the C two. But <laughs> so the, the ringer rules in effect and she started on the fourth row, so Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which she, she informed me of because I, I think also it was really weird. I She was talking about how this was her best result at a World Cup ever. And I think she
0: completely... Can you, can you remind people what the ringer rule is?
2: Oh, yeah. So the ringer rule was one of the rules from uh, Flanders Classics that if you have UCI points from another discipline and you want to try out cyclocross, you can start on the fourth row instead of starting on the back row. So you get like at least a puncher's chance. Um, but yeah, the other thing, so she was talking to someone after the race and so she was like, like, this was my best finish at a World Cup. And I somehow the mud must have just clogged her eyes and ears from 2019 when she finished second uh, in that mud fest. Because then also I was like, oh, this was exactly like 2019. You start on, like, the fourth row. And she was like, no, no, no. I was in the – she didn't even remember it. I was like, apparently you forgot that race, which was kind of interesting.
0: I think everybody forgot that race because I was feeling feeling for Katarina Nash on the broadcast. Did you hear this, Michael? Because they used they kept talking about Yolanda Neff winning. Oh wow! In 2019, a couple times they were talking about Yolanda Neff how
1: she won the World Cup there. I was like,
0: poor Katka, not not getting the oh, love man. from Flow
1: Sports. That's rough. Did she did she win the C two or something? Is that what they're possibly? Oh, she confusing? did. You're right. She did. She did win that race.
2: Yeah. So that was, that was kind of, kind of interesting. So very dynamic middle of the race. I mean, when Brandon, uh, Voss got off the front, so Batsuma had a mechanical, her chain dropped and this area that I'm not really surprised if anyone who's ridden there, it's the section right before the secret bar. It's chattery and a mess and stuff. Her chain falls off. I mean, what were you guys thinking? We had the, the two stars, uh, off the front. I, I thought we were in for kind of like a repeat of the, uh, the Ellen noble race with two, two riders off the front. What were you guys thinking?
0: It certainly looked that way. Let me ask you this, because what ended up happening was that eventually they kind of took their their feet off the pedal uh, and sort of sat up a little bit. And everybody came back to it. And so my question is now, this was a 48-minute race as – compared to I think that uh Voss Noble race, which was probably in the thirties, I think, if I recall correctly. No, that was the what one was time the... they got it right and they let him race an
2: extra lap. It was like oh, a forty eight minute right. light race. Everyone was like, Hi guys, you, we just delivered one of the greatest races that we've seen in recent memory and it was almost fifty minutes and the UCI is like, haha, screw you guys the next after that. But yes. You're thinking of okay. uh Jingle right. Cross twenty sixteen. Uh, so my, my theory You're is... thinking of Jingle Cross twenty sixteen when Katie Compton yeah. won in thirty seven minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Everything I was going to say isn't it doesn't doesn't matter cuz I was I was figuring with this new longer races maybe we're seeing more what we see in the men's race where there is kind of this mid to late race lull. But I wasn't I wasn't really sure what happened there. It was it was kind of Brandon Voss who are off the front and I know that well, it was probably a combination of things. One they did seem like they let up a little. I don't know. They were checking behind a lot. They were looking behind, and I think it was probably just the Betsema factor. I mean, she just came into this race so strong that they probably realized that she's pulling this whole group back up to them, and they probably didn't think that they wanted to give everything they got and burn every match. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Michael, they're, uh, they're listening to Ghost Vandermeer's criticism, and they're racing like Americans, and they're just <laughs> waiting for the sprint.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I don't. Yeah, I agree with all you're saying. I think that uh, you know, I just wanted to point out that you know, Betsamad. I don't know. She has that. Mecha- if she doesn't have the mechanical, I'm wondering if they are chasing her because she opened up a pretty big gap, and she's the one who had the mechanical, and then came all the way back and drug everyone back to her. But so it's like, wow, like the the form that um the Burger Time is bringing into to World Cup is was is was pretty strong.
2: Uh, I guess the counter maybe that a little bit. She did get off the front, and she really pushed the pace. You know, I think that we're seeing a different style of racing. There was we were discussing in one of the first races, if the Betsema wait to win late was just her, I don't know. It just seems like she's not using the same tactics that she was before, but I found it was interesting that, you know, Betsema was off the front and brand was Mark kind of marking her just like, all right, you're two, two or three seconds off the front. Uh, Cause I think when the mechanical happened, she was not, I mean, she might've been on the front, but she wasn't off the front. She was in a group again uh, and fell off. Um, and I think the other thing, maybe the other riders remember 2019, maybe they do remember 2019, you know, maybe Lucinda Brand and Voss do game film, unlike we learned Lauren Sweck. He's not going to bother to watch Fayetteville because he doesn't need to do that. Um, but they remember, you know, Sandy Poof kind of charging through the field. So I thought you had like, you had like this, the two best chargers, you know, maybe you could throw brand in there. Like, you know, as a rider who's just gonna charge through the field. So they knew they had both Betsima and Neff together. That's like a that's like a killer's row of murderers row
0: of just riders who can charge forward. Yeah, and I think when it finally came down to it, Lucinda Brand again was the one who was uh making the moves and as she, you know, was telling us in her post race interview, she likes to ride from the front. She's just more comfortable, you know, with her she feels like with her technical skills and where she's at. She likes to choose the line. She likes to know where she's going and she doesn't want to follow leads, uh wheels and you know, sorta of made that decision to put in that put in that move. I think at the flyover, right? At the big flyover coming up from pit one, kind of put in the strong move and it really was only um Voss there for a while and then Betsima catching up and should we should we talk about this last lap
1: yeah yeah no i just want to note that all day like that that race was so fast watching that race was so fast and then yeah coming around pit one and you saw it all weekend going to that flyover that was the power you laid it down all the riders would lay it down there and attack so hard you know because then it comes around and you go into a little bit of the off camber or you go down before the, the run-up so yeah it seemed like that was a spot And any of the big diesel engines like that's where they'd hit it. I think more so than anything, that spot is
2: if you're there in person to see what is the difference between a professional cyclocross racer and literally everyone else. So everyone else, save maybe your top cat ones and twos, are just kind of like in the saddle by the end of the race, just pedaling up that looking like a normal climb. These riders are out of the saddle, dropping massive, just whipping their bikes and going so fast like to me that of any race i've seen is just the moment where i'm like holy shit like these are professional bike racers i don't know this is like you know those bill those stats what they show late in the game with like you know 17 lead changes and 14 ties i feel like in this last lap i counted no less than five lead changes uh there might have been more but that was that was how many i counted so I, I, should we, so what's each rider's strategy what are we what are we feeling here we know what brands was you know what are you feeling for voss's best hope for winning you know we've seen her in 2018 she beat noble on track factory hill betsema i just haven't she's gone in this last lap she beat some of the other younger riders she showed I don't, I don't know if she's shown necessarily with this new betsema strategy of trying to win late you know what what's her strategy
0: I think that she was, I mean, as she said as much, she was pretty much gassed. You know, I, I think her strategy was, let me try to hang on to the front group. And if somebody just screws it up, I got a chance to win this. But I don't think she had anything left at that point. She was there, but she really wasn't there.
1: Yeah, she stuffed it on the run up and kind of held up Neff and allowed Voss and Brand to sort of like, go and then that i think that took Neff out of that that which she
2: said court. as much in her um, her post race interview as well
0: she's like yep i got stuffed and then i was done <laughs> so here's my question for you the, the i think if we talk we always talk you know so the, the sprint before the sprint and, and we we've seen it you know when voss won last time we saw it here, but a little a little different. You know, it didn't really play out as much. The, the the conventional wisdom is the sprint before the sprint is first to Factory Hill. You wanna you wanna be to the entrance of that first. I I, I wonder if the course changes, well, I mean, I think they did actually played a part into the opportunities post-Factory Hill that Voss was able to take advantage of. I mean, we, we can talk first, and let's just get into it. They come into Factory Hill side by side. They're, they're racing two up, and uh, Voss is determined to get by, and it, it was very similar to what we saw with Nino Scherter at the uh, mountain bike um, uh, Olympic race, right? Well, not the Olympics, or was that the World Championship? Worlds against fluky World, it was Worlds. Worlds, yeah, yeah, against Fluki at Worlds. Or just taking every opportunity, he knows he has to get in front. That's exactly what we saw. Lucinda Brand, similar to what we saw in World Championships last year, closing the door, just not letting Voss by, and it was great. You know, Voss having to check up and get in behind, but then Zach. A couple changes to Factory Hill. They really mellowed out the what was a steep ride slash run-up that took you out of Factory Hill. And then a couple, I think, new or different-looking chicanes afterwards. I have a couple points. One, I was hoping you were going to
2: say, and Voss was denied after the way you introduced determined. Uh, I'm going to do... I know that eight world championships, literally the greatest rider ever uh, in in women's cyclocross, <laughs> perhaps in women's cycling, probably in women's cycling. Bring it back to me. So it was, it was a much steeper, uh, narrower exit on that steep climb. They widened it out. They made a nice line. You saw people, you saw infinitely more people throughout the weekend riding it than did before. So here's what I'm thinking. So in the past, I was battling for, like 29th place against Jason McDowell, my first race back at track. And I, just, I couldn't ride the hill. I mean, I was terrible. It was my, I hadn't ridden, you know, and I dismount, I had dismount and he was riding it. And it ended up that like somehow I got to go through, but then he got pulled and he was like, you did that on purpose. And I was like, I did not do that on purpose. I just suck. Uh, and I was like, kind of second guessing, like what in past years, what if brand dismounts there? What if brand just dismounts you know, it denies Voss the exit, but to Voss's credit, and maybe this is why she is the GOAT, has won seven world championship. She changed her line. So Brand said, what could I have done differently? Brand kind of carried the wide line out. Voss cut in sharp, which you could not have done on your... I, I think in years past, you would have slipped out. That line was not available. But also that's how darn good at bike racing she is, that she cut that line. I don't think Lucinda knew she was doing it because, you know it took Lucinda Brand like a second to finally get out of the saddle and be like, oh shit, I'm getting passed. Like, I don't think she expected it, Um, you know, which you asked about Bill and I don't think you got necessarily the answer that you were looking for because she was talking about kind of giving up after that, but I don't know, that was just fascinating. I mean, that was, Mariana Voss is so good at bike racing, guys. Like, that was an incredible move, but to your point, I think it was in a way created by that more of a swooping exit to that feature this time around.
1: Yeah, I think it it leaves it leaves that that option there. I mean, I think it it, and I think you're right, Zach. I'm actually just I just literally just rewatched it, and uh, you know Brand goes wide, and Voss sees the opportunity and punches it inside, and Brand just I think I think that point Brand doesn't have the power to close the door again, and Voss has just a little more oomph to get right past her, and uh, it's a sprint to the sauce corner, and she gets it.
0: Right, and and then after that, it, it it truly is. Then those chicane's become the sprint before the sprint because it's it's a parade lap. After that, there there's really nothing you can do when you come to the flyover. And I was actually talking to some of the um, men's riders about this today. You can't come into that flyover full gas or you're just going to send the whole thing. You know, you have to come in there under control because it's downhill into a flyover. You're just going so fast. You can't pass there. You only have uh, about two seconds of real estate after the flyover to work with to do any kind of move. Then you're doing a wide 180 and then it's a really short sprint home. So you could see that brand... Pretty much conceded the race after she got past She she did not contest the the sprint. I mean, Voss put in a, put in a great effort and, and got a bigger gap. But you could tell that even before the flyover, that Brand kind of sat up and she knew and she was just sort of checking checking behind to make sure that she could hold on to second.
1: Yeah, you know, I think she she maybe would have gave it one more go to be first to the flyover, but Voss just had too much. And at that point, there's like you said, Bill, there's nowhere to go. Just rewatching that uh Voss just so stoked to win that race um like like you said so many world championships one of the greatest cyclists still out there having fun having a good time like just really stoked on that win do we
0: know the last time she won a world cup
1: uh oh is this a
2: quiz uh, or is this a query
0: <laughs> this is a query not a quiz
2: <laughs>
1: i th- i want to say saying- it was
2: 2018.
0: 2018 Is anybody going to
1: check or are we just going <laughs> to let's see. <laughs> All right, Zach, any I'm any checking. finishing thoughts while see. Michael
0: looks that up on the uh, on the women's race.
1: 2019 Ponte Chateau. Oh, she
0: won Ponte Chateau.
2: Okay. So, oh, she won a bunch that year. And she wins. Zolder. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, she won so many she won, races. And she then, won, then they got punked won by, by Sana at Boensa. Okay. Yeah, because she won Zolder that year. Uh, and yeah, she won Bern. She won Waterloo. And I guess maybe, I mean, honestly, she finished third. That was the Katie Keo race at Jingle Cross when it started raining at the start of the women's race, which was second that year. Uh, and so, you know, she only finished third and so maybe, you know, had, had, had the women gone last this time around, maybe it would have been a different
0: result for Mariana
2: Voss. But I think that's the perfect lead in to our men's
0: race. The, 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 the skies opened up Zach mid race not even at the beginning right i mean we were still dry at the beginning and that's what caused a ton of confusion in that race cuz everybody showed up the start line with their dry tires on their bikes and ready to roll
2: I mean I was trying to pinpoint watching the broadcast I think it happened like 4 minutes into the race so it was dry it was tacky and then I think they're kind of in that back by the secret bar and you start to see the the precipitation and the moisture accumulate on the cameras that was that was I mean, that was the story of the race. I mean, and it wasn't it wasn't a hard rainfall. It was a drizzle. I mean, you know, I don't think any of us brought our rain gear. We had all kind of for our cameras, too. I don't think anyone had really prepared for that. Like, we were all just like, please don't rain harder. We can handle this drizzle, but please don't rain harder. Uh, and so it kind of created this veneer of water. And I mean, fast forward to I guess we have to go to the pavement. So. You know, I think part of what's dangerous about, you know, driving on when it starts raining is there's all this oil and stuff that's on the pavement. And this is very much the case. It's right by the loading dock. So you have just, in addition to being wet pavement, you have all these oils and stuff that just haven't flushed out yet. It was carnage. I mean, it was the best cyclocross racers in the world. And I mean, I don't want to make too much light of it because of what happened to Tebow, but you had three guys go down within 15 seconds of one another.
1: Yeah, and that I mean, it was Quentin Hermans was was doing his thing, right? He had attacked and was kind of off the front, and uh, did he go down first? He was numero uno, obviously, and th- and then did did Van turn out? Tone was tone was down? second. Tone, uh, ah. and then Tebow, and then, <sighs> just yikes! Oof! If you that video is hard to watch.
2: Yeah. So, game. I mean, I think this fundamentally changed the race. So Quinton is on great form. It's very clear. He finished, I think, second at Heaton. Like, he's rolling well. Talking to him, he was he was really upset. It's like, dude, you just finished third at a World Cup. He was not happy. I think he had aspirations to win the race. but But tone going down, too, you know, because I was like... I asked Ailey, you know, um, and I credit to Ailey's a really smart kid. Like if you talk to him, like asking him about race stuff, he's very like cerebral. So he was like, yeah, I, I saw tone go down and I knew that no one was coming back from that. He's like, so he's like number one lions contender, boom, we're done. Um, you know, so I was, I was impressed that like, he kind of knew that, but just very matter of fact, he's like, yeah, you don't go down that hard and come back from it. So, you know, we got Mikey V off the front and then ailey bridged him and we had uh i went to let have we i'm tr- I was trying to think of a good ailey michael buddy comedy race did we i can't think of one off the top of my head well, it, where the two of them did
0: that didn't they go for a while there
2: They may have because that's the one Mikey v won. Like I remember, we all remember the yeah. year at Flandrian yeah. Cross when it was the Mayusen Vanderpool buddy comedy. Like that was like Tom Mayusen's great accomplishment at, at Hama one year. But I don't remember a good one for Michael <laughs> and. But that one like
1: didn't end well for Ailey. So. Yeah, and Ailey had a Ailey had a a slow start. Actually, he didn't go out so hot, and maybe. That was to his advantage um, that he didn't he didn't get caught up in that that first drop or he saw the folks, you know, crash in front of him. So that kind of his really chain fell off actually at the fly at the run up the first time you
2: just barely. So he was
1: third wheel and it's oh. funny because he
2: talked about it. So I wouldn't have noticed this. But then you see him on the video. You can see him like he hit it hard. It was just like, yeah, there's something in retrospect having interviewed him before seeing it. it was just like, oh, yeah, his chain fell off. So he was like wrenching it and he, he was 12 seconds back after one lap. Uh, but I think that just shows uh, How strong he is So I love the buddy comedy I was just like Hey man I, I had to ask I was like We make fun of you guys Well you know We're, we're, we're intrigued By, by the su-. Did you Did you say that? No I we said make we're, fun we're, of you? Here in America We're intrigued by What goes on <laughs> on your team How does this work And he's like Me and Michael We live right down the street We're best buds We play PlayStation every day We're rocking Fortnite This whole trip Like me and him Are tight and we're talking during the race. Ailey was just kind of waiting up for Michael, being a good teammate. Uh, I love it. I, I think that clearly those two get along really well. Uh, and it was cool to to kind of hear that they have this this relationship off the off the field, as it were, as well.
0: Yeah, and I think what impressed me talking with Ailey was just how much communication he has with his pit crew during a race and how many changes they're making. And I'm just like, and I understand and I understand that there's right. there's a communication there and they're talking each half lap. But just it seems like to be able to, you know, we're going down one, we're going up one for tire pressure. Like every lap having that communication and having that, that crew that's able to just respond to that. And then what do you say? He changed his pressure four or five different times and they're changing tires as well. It's just, I don't know, that kind of like – Communication and just being in tune with the people who are working for you is, I think, I think pretty cool. I mean, that's that's that truly is like we've all been watching F one. That's where you truly like see it sort of dialed in so much. And these guys don't have radios to sort of tell them ahead of time what they're looking for.
2: Yeah, no, they have to yell it out. And I mean, it sucks too that they're using that they probably use bars, so they have to be like point one, point one, point two instead of just you know. <laughs> Which is another thing with, that
0: I love you know. about how you know, we don't, we don't give these guys enough credit where they come in and they're speaking English and they're translating things to PSI and they're doing everything to make us English speakers only. Um, you know, to, so we, so we understand what's going on. And I, I think that's, 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 that's
2: pretty cool. Can I come in with a really hot take here? I think that we've kind of, we've done our best to make Ali out to be the villain. He actually seems like a really nice kid, who seems like he's supportive of his teammates and people like him i i like him i like ailey it's hard to not like the guy when you interview him he's smart he's intelligent he's he cracked a joke he was like oh maybe some of these tactics we learned from Fortnite. like you know he's joking in his interviews like
0: kind of like the kid yeah you know you know how they talk about never meet your heroes exactly never meet your villains is that the corollary (laughs) is that the corollary yeah exactly
1: yeah it's not as fun right because you know they're they're actually people
2: (laughs) so the best part of this whole thing was you know so ailey's kind of waiting up and they see quentin closing the gap a little bit and finally michael was like look man just just go (laughs) i'm done michael was like you go and ailey's like okay and you know i think it was in lap six he opens up a 12 second gap but that was the extent of their communication that michael kind of knows his spot and knows that Ailey is flying right now it's just like yeah you go uh but that that battle for second got tweet got tweet you know quentin was saying that he was, was never feeling the same but I, I thought he was gonna i thought he was gonna close the gap I and mean, what were you thinking michael were you watching that i mean it was down to like four seconds at one point
1: um yeah, I mean, sure, I mean, I think it was a good race. I think that, like you said, I mean, Quentin weighed down, and that kind of like takes you off your game. So I, I I feel like Mike had it. I also wanted to point out something, I don't know if you guys saw this. Maybe you didn't see it from the the uh, guys being there, that Ellie was taking the Zach McDonald line over the little hump after the second flyover at first, the, che- first time st-
0: the cheaters we were calling it the
1: cheaters line okay you guys saw that i was just like yeah is it, it must be better because you couldn't really see what it looked like what he was riding on but that seemed to be his jam once he was on his own that was his little spot yeah i don't know if there's any advantage to it or not but yeah he definitely was uh taking that wide
0: he's sort of pushing out the tape and yeah maybe maybe next year they're gonna have to put a stake there the the the, <laughs> the, the ailey stake right in right in that little low spot but, of course, you know, the, the the other side of that is, you know, you, you do that and then you're not able to be Don Sota and just, you know, get like crazy air off of that section.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, do we see Ellie whip it? Is he a whipper? Not, not with the way the conditions were going. There were a handful of riders yeah. getting a little bit of air. But I think even I think most riders were just keeping the uh, the rubber on the mud. Uh, speaking of a rider that I thought would whip it. So I was looking back through my, my photos and uh, I know we don't do this. We don't like to talk about top North American, uh, but I thought Kerry Werner r- raced really well. Uh, and I know I'm sure this doesn't motivate him. I know in the bulletin I wrote, you know, that I felt like Curtis is the strongest of the North American riders right now. I felt like he had the best shot to make that run at the top 10, but that was not the case. Like I carry raced. It was his best world cup finish ever. Uh, it was the best North American World Cup finish at Waterloo. So for whatever reason, North Americans have just struggled. I thought he raced really well, Bill. Like he was in this group. Was he getting any camera time, Michael? I doubt it. Um, but he, he I'm mean, are no. your thoughts watching him. I i thought Kerry did really well.
0: I, I think that it, it also was when it became more technical. That was where he had the kind of the North American mm-hmm. advantage. And, and there are tricky you know there are tricky places on that on that track i think that that waterloo track they they've made so many good improvements over the years i think at first it was sort of this not that exciting but i think it's if you look at all the all the Little tiny tricky bits that are in there. You know, you come out of the secret bar, you got this little rock ledge. You know, you come up the opposite side off of the, you know, when you do the big long sweeping off camber, which is sweet, and you come up this big climb. And then you even have like this stone step, which you always forget there. You have that log section where you got to climb. And there's a lot of technical bits to this to this track and once it starts to get wet that just makes it even more technical and somebody that has skills like Carrie and who obviously is going really well and you know is being able to put that together with with power yeah i think i think that he he raced a really a really good race and hopefully that's the kind of thing that'll uh you know propel him to even better finishers these next two rounds
2: yeah so if you weren't there what had kind of happened is there was this there was the riding line that was exposed dirt it held up really well you know track uh we you know we raced our we raced twice there after the world cup we did our state championships there it was it was a mess there were ruts everywhere it was just and they they stayed off of it i guess scott herman was saying for
0: two years for two years. They said that they, they did they did zero practices out there. They had zero, you know, fun races, nothing. They just kinda let it just go native on in that whole field for the last couple of years. So it was a little rougher than it normally is, but the grass actually had an opportunity to heal, so it wasn't just gonna disappear after after five minutes of racing.
2: So it was super smooth with that rain. I mean, Ailey said it was like ice. I mean, there were people slipping, walking across the course. I mean, there were spots where like people were almost getting run over because they would get held up slipping, crossing the course and stuff like it was super treacherous. And I think that just played that. That's like I think, Michael, right. Weren't we texting about this? Like that's Kerry Werner conditions. Like that is what the dude does. You know, so I guess in retrospect, it's probably not too surprising that it turned out that way. Uh and it's a really flowy, like Kerry is just a very smooth, flowy rider. It's not necessarily a power course. Uh and yeah, I think it just it fit his skills. And we saw too, didn't on Friday he won the, the North American uh super prestige of Trek Waterloo, right? He ended up beating out
1: Tobin and and Michael Vandenham, correct? Right, he did, yeah. I mean I, I mean I was trying to create this story, this narrative that like the lights are on other riders and Carrie is sort of like sneaking through, but I mean, he's had a really, he's had a strong, he hasn't had a win yet. Um, but you know, he's second overall in USCX. He's up there on all, he's, his OPP is pretty high actually. Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, like sometimes we get, we see shiny objects and we kind of forget about that Carrie Warner is a boss and uh you know maybe he would have won nationals if he hadn't been taken out i'm gonna do this put the
2: plant the flag i'm just saying like i did an analysis of historical weather with climate change you know for all we know it's still like 70 in minneapolis in mid-october uh so for all we know it may be like 75 come chicago suburb nationals if we get traditional Chicago weather, plant my flag, just saying something to watch. If we get something like Hartford, I mean, I look back to Hartford. That was kind of like Kerry Werner's first big ride. He finished third at that race on the snow. Just saying, look back at this race, might see similar conditions. Could be Could be a race we look back on and say, oh, Kerry Werner, national champ in those conditions.
0: All right. So we have Fayetteville that. Again, may have already happened by the time that this gets posted, but right now it is the, uh, the night before the race. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I, I was out there today. It's, uh, it looks, I was out there in April for the U S cup mountain bike race. And, uh, it looked completely different in April than it looked in 2019 when we were there for Fayette cross and it was just a big grass field that then was covered in four inches of water uh now it's got all these big hills and rocks and 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 stairs and they also stairs stairs lots of stairs but those stairs yes
1: no i'm just saying like there are massive. stairs there's stairs there
0: are lots of stairs there is a huge staircase like it's a mile climb in a mountain no michael uh, michael that's it yeah.
2: that's at valmont that's the the 5280 uh, climb at Belmont.
1: stop no not mile high it's a mile long regardless
0: they put down all new turf over the whole course and it's crazy so there now is it's it has this sort of like new grass look to it and we're supposed to get rain so uh i guess you all will know by the time you hear this what happened but right now we don't know and it might get all torn up so there's <laughs> there's my fayetteville cross preview post view retro view look back uh
2: to wrap this up though i want to come back we mentioned the crowds uh we talked about should i just edit out that whole part i just did about fayetteville then you could put at the end (laughs) go ahead crowds i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the event that was a world cup waterloo and i was i was super worried i mean bill we talked about at charm city it was pretty clear the crowds were just not where they were in past like you can even look at photos from the top of the flyover at charm during the elite races people 10 people deep watching this year maybe four (laughs) along the barriers we've talked a lot about you know where cyclocross is And honestly, I felt being there on Saturday, just there weren't there weren't as many racers. I just, you know, as a barometric or as a metric, I used like the 35 plus race that I did. There were about 10 fewer riders in the men's 35 plus. Didn't seem like the same level of excitement, not the same level of excitement for the Legends race, although it did occur at dark because it was a month later. I was really skeptical. And oh, my God, did people show up on Sunday like in my opinion, easily, and I can't speak to Cross Vegas, I've been to every other Jingle and Czech World Cup, easily the biggest crowd that's been at one of those two World Cups. They were loud. They were cheering for everyone. I mean, there were spots where you're like five people deep. Like I was like elbowing my way in to take photos. Unfortunately, because it's not Belgium, they're like, oh, are you the photo guy? Please come in and come in instead of being like the Belgian, being like, this is my spot. And I've been here since 4 a.m. holding down uh, my spot. But here's. I think we need to, you know, I got a question, you know, how are we going to know when American bike racing is back? And I think that's the wrong question to ask. I think we need to focus on what is working. And I think, you know, on Grodio, we talk about this with like Unbound. Unbound is clearly working. There's things in gravel that are working. What Trek did worked. And I, I saw people who you brought out people in the bike community who don't race cross, who are just like, there's an event I Want to go to this? So, Bill, you had kind of posited this. We have two days of racing. It's less an event. Do we, I mean, would we be better served going to one day, one UCIC one? That's the race that that community comes out to because that's what you have in Belgium, right? You're not doing Namur Saturday, Namur Sunday. It's just Namur. You come to Namur, it's on Sunday. I don't know. I feel like or downplay the C2, but like something that Trek did was right to create this event that people came out for. People were so excited. It was, it was incredible to, to be there. I, I, I think we need to find a way, it, you know, can it be, can we sell that for like the top North American riders, the top Americans are coming to this event to just get people who are curious about a cool event to come out. I don't know. I, I, but something worked.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's all a bit my take. You know, we had we had people in the past like Jeremy Powers who would sk- always skip like a C. You know, he'd fill up a C two bucket and then he'd only race C ones, and would save it for that. I do think there's more of an immediacy if you just go to one race a weekend and people argue well then it's not worth my time to travel and all this other kind of stuff to which I would counter argue that's only because this is how it's always been done but once it changes and that's the new normal and this is what you're traveling for and if you want to do it you do it. The other thing that promoters could do under this system that we've just created here on this podcast act is that you could offer more prize money than The C1 then is just the C1 payout, right? If you're not paying a C2 payout, if you have that budgeted, you can still have all of your amateur races all weekend long, still have all of them, just have one UCI day race, and then you can offer those people more money. So you may not be getting as many points over the season, but you're still... Getting the opportunity to make more money, have a deeper prize pool, all that kind of stuff, where even your middlers who may never get a payout at least have an opportunity to do so. And again, it is something that you're not like. Even to watch the race, you're not like, well, if I don't go Saturday, I'll go Sunday. Or if I'm not going to be there for Sunday, I'll go Saturday. And a lot of think, I think a lot of people make that decision. They want to see the race but they don't have the whole weekend to commit so make it one day everybody comes out to that day and your your size of your crowd is going to be that much bigger
2: yeah and i think it concentrates it in it's two hours a two-hour period like you know uh you just come out and you know i think come of this we've talked about this too i think we do need to you know marketing and pr and if you have a thousand bucks to throw i mean obviously they don't have the trek machine behind it um but you know, to, to reach out to different communities, to make it, I, I don't know how, I don't know, I don't have the answer, but to, to make it bigger, like come to this, come check this out. We've got the best, like, this is a thing. This is a party. This is an event. And you said so many people, like if I ran into a friend, she's like, yeah, I had work to do, but like there was this awesome event at Trek and I needed to come.
1: Yeah. I the think- other thing that you could- yeah, go ahead, Michael. I just think some of it also is like, Let's COVID it's, it's, it's the first race sort of at Trek in two years. And I think there is some of that shine to it. I, I think that Trek also did a good job as sort of like laying out what their guidelines were and sort of how, what they, you know, wanted from spectators and fans there. So it kind of made it seem like this is an environment I want to go to Zach. You can tell me how big the cycling scene is in, in Madison, but like, I think I saw this the, on the live stream. It looked great, but I like, I think there's like a lot of like excitement, Post, not not post COVID, because it's still having, but like for sort of the first race since, you know, we, since 2020. And I know we've had other races uh, on the calendar, but I feel like my experiences at Trek going there for three years is like that has always been like the best event of the year. So they had that sort of momentum. I mean, I, I hope though that you're onto something, guys, and I, I hope that it sort of continues. Like this. Yeah. And I don't per se think it's a structural, well, if we
2: do this with the races, it's creating an event. And Trek deserves all of the credit. They were like, all right, look, Jingle Cross has done a great job with their event, too. And to John Meehan's credit, with not as much budget, he's created an event. He's done the Doggy Cross. He's brought people in. Jingle Cross is a fun. It's always been fun. Um, and I think actually Trek learned from that because I- I've told this story before, but like back when I was volunteering with the Trek CX Cup when it was run by Renee Calloway, who, by the way, if you want to know what uh, um, I-, I was messaging her and she's like, yeah, I saw you run around. She's like, yes, I was just enjoying it with the beer. Uh, just chilling out, uh, hanging with friends. Bill, if you want to know what post-promoter life is like, is you enjoy your attendance at your events. But we were like, how do we be Jingle Cross? And I've told this story before on this podcast. But how do like we looked at Jingle Cross, and I think track with the they've just been like, we're gonna make it a party. Like our course isn't that good. I mean, it's never gonna be Jingle Cross. But come, you got the secret bar. You've got you know just this awesome energy that you felt everywhere. It was like, come be a part of something. Uh, and I think that's—it's not a—I think we always focus on well, if we if we just have a C1 and the riders have come out, it's how do you get the community? How do you get people who are? tangentially related to bike racing to have an event like like if you do a big crit like if there was in minneapolis a big crit a usa crit i would go i'd be like oh, this is cool i want to be i want to go check this out how do you get people like me who don't necessarily race crits to be like i want to come be a part of this event and i, I don't i don't want to focus too much on pedantics of well if we have this classification or stuff it's like i think we need to focus more on like how do we build these events into more than just like an amateur bike race Uh, If we do want to be a professional, we've got apparently three more years of the live stream. We want it to be professional and you need that, that energy. I mean, you know, Sven was on Twitter today. He had the Belgian horde coming for him saying that American cross sucks. And Sven's just like, he posts like, you know, Dehan Perker's great finish line photo of, you know, with the crowd of Voss like celebrating. And it was just like, yeah, that was incredible. It was amazing. sounds like they told a good story they do yeah and trek i think deserves a lot of credit but i think that it's one of those things in my opinion that we need to learn from uh and see what they do i mean if i was an organizer i would you know be like all right trek what did you do i mean it helps that you have all your employees and then your employees family <laughs> and your employees family's kid like the, I, there were a lot of trek employees there don't get me wrong uh but i think i just saw a lot of folks who aren't necessarily cross racers who were i want to come to this and see it So,
0: all right. Let's end it there. Uh, we got a lot to talk to talk about next time, so we'll uh, we'll pick it up then. Can I do it one more time, Bill? See ya, Bill.
2: I, I'm sure you heard. I'm sure you heard a lot of noises, uh, Bill. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't
0: booing. They were mooing. See you next time. Hang in there, kid. Waterloo. the Grodio podcast.